Welcome to Built in the Bluegrass, a podcast dedicated to cool stuff made in Kentucky. We want to share with you how it was made, why it was made, and the story behind it. And now, here's your host. Good morning, everyone, wherever you may listening at this point in time, maybe afternoon or evening, but nonetheless, uh, welcome back to Built in the Bluegrass. We are going to be talking about another awesome Kentucky-made product today. Uh, with Greg Wilson, who is the founder of Hemp Wood. Greg, how are we? How are we doing today? Oh, pretty good. It's a great, great day in Western Kentucky here. Nice. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a cold day for those. I don't know when you're listening, but this is in December, so we got some little chilly weather pretty much everywhere. Uh, all right, so we've had uh, a few conversations with several people uh, in the hemp industry. Um, we've had some quite some interesting characters actually uh, on the on the show that talked about. Um, you know, the hemp products that are, that are being done sometimes, you know, just regular foods, edibles, you know, you name it. It's been, uh, all over the map as far as different options. But today we're going to be talking about one that I wasn't that familiar with until recently with hemp wood and some of their products. And I, I know you're going to explain that it's more than hardwood floors, but let's talk, um, let's get just a little bit about, you, you know, what is it that you want people to know about your company, how it got started. And then we can get into a little more of, you know, your placement in the marketplace and why you do your business here, et cetera. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and Hempwood. Yeah. So my wife and I uh, started Hempwood about five, six years ago. We've been here in Murray, Kentucky, working with Murray State University. Um, our whole team are farmers. So we come from the ag school at Murray State or we live on farms growing hemp ourselves. So we're actually growing it. We are making it and we are selling it all right here in Western Kentucky. We're in Callaway County. So do you, so your farms, you're growing it all yourself. You're not, quote, importing it. I know you're not importing it from foreign places, but do you have other people outside of your, you know, local fields that you're doing it? Or is that produce enough to produce, you know, make what you're making? So we actually have a hemp grower program through the Kentucky Department of Agriculture, which encourages people to grow hemp within 100 miles of our mill here and then supply it to us. We are hands-on with growing some ourselves. We do grow some with University of Kentucky. We do grow some with Murray State University as well on the different ag farms that they have. Awesome. So how many acres, you know, how many acres of hemp are we talking about here? Now, I know you can go, hemp goes a long way, but, you know, how many acres are you bringing in annually or however it is you all keep up with it? We're talking hundreds of acres, not thousands. Um, most of the time when people talk thousands of acres, I kind of write them off just because there's only a handful of people that do that across the whole country. So in our team internally here, we will have 150 to 200 acres. We will contract for a similar number from the local area here. And then we will buy an equivalent amount from out of state because there's not enough in Western Kentucky. So this year will be 450 to 500 acres total that go through our processing facility. Okay, so let's let's just dive right in to translate that into a user product because if I'm thinking 450, 500 acres, there's a whole lot of hardwood floors and a whole lot of wood material that goes on out there. I wouldn't think that's a big supply. So uh, explain to me how you know, where you are in the marketplace. Uh, I know it's obviously you know not the equivalent of white or red oak that's you know, maybe everywhere in hardwood floors, but just talk a little bit about your value proposition and the scale that you, you think you can get to or currently are. Absolutely. Yeah. So each acre of hemp that comes into our factory gets about 6,000 square feet of flooring out of it. 
So it's not a small amount. We have the capability of doing a million square feet of flooring. Now for a flooring mill, that's very small because some of your big boys will do 10 million, 20 million. Um, but we're just getting started here. We have two plants, so two factories. One of them makes the hemp wood where I'm at right now. You can probably hear some of the air compressors and saws in the background a little bit. I hope it's not too disturbing. Um, then we have our flooring mill that is actually in the industrial park here in Murray, about three miles down the road, where we make our finished goods. So that's flooring, that's furniture, that's cabinetry. We're doing lumber and panels out of it. And it is a direct replacement for your domestic hardwood. So oak, hickory, walnut. So how are you, you know, let's talk about price and value. Are you able to be competitive? Like what is your position in the marketplace? Like, yeah, we're competitive price-wise or we're more, you know, from a longevity standpoint, from a quality standpoint, from a pretty standpoint. If you're making out of hemp, I, pres I presume there's a certain level of manipulation of what the final product can look like because it's not just white oak or not just hickory. Yep. So we are directly competitive with your domestic hardwoods. You can always go to Lowe's or Home Depot and find some sort of imported garbage that comes from Southeast Asia manufactured with Russian or Ukrainian uh, wood in it. That's kind of the normal for white oak, but they call it European oak. Um, assembled in Cambodia with Russian plywood and Ukrainian white oak on top. Um, what we do being domestically competitive with like Graff Brothers, which are here in Kentucky as well, or you got Somerset, we have flooring between six and 10 bucks a square foot, depending on how fancy you want to get. We have different grades, like you got your premium select and you got your common grade. We have commercial and we have residential. So as far as a price point, we're right there with our folks that are also making wood flooring in the Commonwealth here. With our value proposition, we have the healthiest flooring on the market and the most sustainable flooring option on the market. And I say healthiest because we've developed a soy-based glue to replace formaldehyde because when I was working in China building bamboo flooring mills, I actually uh, wrecked my lungs. I have some serious health implications from that where I have to go and get uh, worked on every couple of years. And so we decided to work with the United Soybean Board and the Kentucky Soybean Board to develop this soy protein glue so you have no dirty chemicals, no off-gassing happening inside of your home. So, yeah, you work in it every day, uh, you know, particularly in a mill or something. That's one thing. What are the safety issues? It's just in my house down on my floor. You know, I mean, the glue is under the wood, if at all. A lot of times it's nailed down. So what are you know, what are the implications? I know to the common person, as opposed to somebody who's working it every day, like who is the, what, how can I really relate that to my life every day and my flooring? Like it's, does it pose a danger to me and using the pre-made LVLs, you know, et cetera. Absolutely does. So that's something that they don't really talk about is that your VOCs, volatile organic compounds that emit into your home that emit when someone is installing the floor or that emit when you're manufacturing the product are definitely not good for you. I can say that the closer you are to the manufacturing source, the worse it is because you're turning a liquid into a solid. Whenever they're making plywood, what's called Baltic birch, that's Russian birch with phenylformaldehyde putting it together. And you don't want to work in that mill or you'll end up like me. So for the manufacturer, it's horrible. And a lot of these products aren't even allowed to be manufactured in the United States. 
because of the dirty chemicals in it, like vinyl chloride and your vinyl flooring was originally developed for gas warfare in World War One. That's what the Germans shot at the British. And now it's in two thirds of the flooring in the United States. And you're not allowed to actually compound that stuff in the U.S. with all of the toxins and off gassing. So that's why it's all imported from overseas. So they get around the dirtiest part of it by making it overseas. And that's typically your cheaper products. And then for the installer, if you got a, if you smell what your flooring smells like when you hit it with a chop saw, that's your VOC emissions. That's not a good thing to have. The new car smell or plastic means that you're breathing in a bunch of dirty stuff. And so the installer has it worse than the homeowner. And the homeowner, your issues really happen when temperature changes inside of your home and you don't have ventilation. Like if you keep your windows closed or you don't have your souped up ventilation systems, then that stuff builds up. Like if you go into a room where it was really hot and you had the door closed, you walk into there and it just smells off. That's what's off gassing from your flooring, from your walls, from the different elements that are inside of your house. And typically the cheaper you go, the more imported you go, the dirtier it is because you can kind of cover up what's going on. So, all right. So let's talk uh, about that from a company perspective. Uh, we do a lot, you know, to talk about like why you do it here, but talk just uh, about, you know, you mentioned Murray state university. Um, you know, you, the, you're hearing more and more about the carbon emissions, the whole thing that goes along with sustainability, you know, all these key words that, you know, some you can argue go too far, some don't. Um, there, there's always that discussion. So talk a little bit about your company, your ownership, the take on, you know, uh, those types of things and the involvement with, you know, doing business with the local universities or the ag department. You know, what, you know, how do you all integrate, if you will? Oh, absolutely. So we're the only carbon negative flooring on the market. And I don't get into the whole climate change and who caused what, because there's so many different factors there. But I can say that it's easy to see that if you can turn your waste like we do here in the mill into your thermal energy, then you're removing fossil fuels being used in your production process. And that gets you extra points when selling into commercial builds. It also means that I don't have to pay somebody to haul off my waste hemp. I can actually turn it into my energy here and reduce my cost of goods. And we have something called a bio burner that was made right here in Kentucky. And that takes our hemp, we grind it up, it burns it, and it turns it into biochar, which comes out the other end. And that's a fertilizer for planting hemp the next year. So we can turn our waste into energy with the byproduct of fertilizer and then get extra brownie points for having a carbon negative product out there. So instead of just telling somebody to change what they're doing, if you can figure out a way where it saves you money, then it makes sense the whole way across. Kind of like electric vehicles are. You don't got to pay for gasoline. That's the thing that kind of moves the needle. And then the fact that an electric vehicle performs better with acceleration or something like that, that's kind of icing on the top. You can't say, hey, do this because it's better. You have to say, do this because it makes it a more viable product. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, it makes us more sustainable because we're not using a bunch of dirty chemicals or we're not using a bunch of um, dirty energy. Cool. Yeah. So I'm trying to drag uh, I'm trying to drag out of you something with the, the, the systems that you work with, the Department of Agriculture and and Murray State. I presume that is those are things that they are pushed by most, you know, most of those entities, you know, schools, et cetera. 
is to go that route. And you're correct. The, the, the dilemma is always, is it marketable? You know, th- does it work? You know, that if you're going to be three times as expensive for your floors, you know, good luck hitting the market. You know, you're going to, it has to be, you know, and again, not to be political, but it, you got to make it work all around. So with the people that are around you, do you feel that Murray state is pushing that? Is that something that your ownership and your board really push for, you know, Talk about like what, you know, sure, go to market, but also the things that, were, that you just mentioned. Oh, absolutely. So as the majority owner of this company, I can say that the environment is super important to me. I'm a bow hunter. I live on a farm. I recognize what's happening out there. So if you see the ducks are migrating later than they used to, and you can see that fish are turning on and off at different time frames than they used to, you can see that the temperature is changing. And so that makes a big difference to me as a farmer, as an outdoorsman, where you can actually see these things happening in real time, where duck hunting now in the Commonwealth is good at Christmas. It's not good at Thanksgiving anymore because those ducks are staying up north. So the practical application to people that are in the outdoors is there. It is visible. I can say that Murray State University introduced me to Scott who makes these bio burners here in Kentucky because they have one in their equine center and they can take their shavings from the horse stalls and turn it into their heat for the building. And I said, well, wouldn't it be neat to do that with our waste hemp here in the mill? And that actually gets you your green points. So those technologies are for sure coming out of Murray State University. Those technologies are being supported by the state and the federal ag departments, because for setting up that bio burner, we got a renewable energy grant that reimbursed 25% of the cost of doing it, which was essentially the the cost premium of putting a system like that into play here. And then it pays for itself in the long run. So working with the government to implement these renewable energy systems, I mean, when the government says do something, you don't fight it. You just have to figure out how it fits into what you're doing or you're going to just be swimming upstream the whole time. And so when they say, hey, we've got programs that can help you make a more sustainable product, why not take advantage of it? This is Frank Jimley with the Kentucky Association of Manufacturers, proud sponsor of Built in the Bluegrass. For over 100 years, CAM has served our state's manufacturing industry through advocacy, workforce development, education, and training as well as cost-saving benefits for members. Fighting for manufacturers is what CAM does best, representing the industry in both Frankfurt and in Washington, D.C. Whether it's advocacy, offering discounts, or group health insurance, CAM has its members covered. Learn more and become a member by visiting cam.us.com. So, uh, Murray State, We've mentioned them a few times now. Is you're not from Kentucky, correct? So you, know, you you came here for a reason, and you chose Kentucky for a reason. Let's talk about some reasons you came here, and why you stayed, and why you think it'll work for the future. Oh, absolutely. So I was living in China with my wife. We were making bamboo flooring. So 20 years ago in college, I wrote an algorithm that turns a plant fiber into a wood composite, and that's how strand woven bamboo flooring came about. I wasn't the kind of inventor per se of the process. I was the guy who put it into numbers. 
which equaled a patent and a standard operating procedure for making a log out of bamboo. And so in working with that, the Chinese government actually beat us up a little bit. They deemed our company to be a monopoly because my boss was suing companies that were infringing on the uh, patents, making the same product. And when that one got deemed to be a monopoly, he had me start looking at different raw materials that you could put into this process. And we came up with what's called strand woven eucalyptus. You can find that at every Lowe's in the United States. And hemp, or what we called weed wood at the time, had come as a possible raw material, but we didn't know anything about it. When the 2014 Farm Bill passed and Kentucky was a leader in passing that, which was Congressman Comer, as well as Ryan Quarles, who became the Ag Commissioner, and Murray State. Murray State was the first place in the United States that put hemp seeds in the ground. And while I was in China looking at the equivalent of Google over there, where I can find hemp being planted, and I had filed these patents on how to make hemp wood myself, not for the company I was working for, then I called Murray State and said, hey, I'm looking for a place where I can find a thousand tons of hemp a year to be able to make flooring out of it. And they said, come on down. Dr. Brannon was the dean of the ag school and the guy that I had seen on the news planting the hemp. He said, I've been waiting for someone like you to call. When are you coming down? You're, you're calling from China. What do you do? And I said, I do bamboo flooring. I believe hemp will work. We filed some intellectual property. And he actually set me up in my first visit from China was setting up a pilot plant on the West Farm on Murray State campus to try to see if this would work. And the soy-based glue that we were working with came from Oregon State University, which I had worked with for a while trying to implement that into the bamboo. But our customers said it would make it too expensive to use a plant-based glue as compared to formaldehyde. But when I was doing this one on my own with my own dollars, I decided I wanted to implement it because of my health conditions. So Murray State said yes. Oregon State, which actually was legal to use or to grow hemp at that time, 2016, 2017, was afraid to touch us because they're a land-grant university getting all these federal dollars. So they shunned the project. Murray State said, you want to create two dozen jobs in town here? Come on down. So we ended up here in the state of Kentucky. Nice. So, uh, so some of your farms are actually, you know, you're leasing land from the university. So you're right there around it. Uh, you, how many, how many acres do you say that it is you farm today? So the farm that I live on right now is 140 acres. Uh, it is not all row crop land. We grow a little bit there. The Kelly farms and the low farms that are directly right around our factory here, they grow a significant amount of our hemp and do a lot of the custom harvesting for it. We also worked with Swift Farms here and Workman Farms. So those are kind of the four in Western Kentucky that have been good with us. So uh, if, I'm a, if I'm looking at products to grow and let's just say it's profitability, whatever you want to use from a metric to make it make sense to grow hemp over corn or soybeans or whatever it may be, can you make it make sense for each of those farm owners, including Murray State, besides the educational and research piece? So the answer is maybe with the current, <laughs> it's not clear cut, nothing in farming is clear cut. So everybody will understand that. So with the program that is in place 
through the Kentucky Department of Agriculture, which I encourage anybody to reach out to us if you want to grow some hemp in Western Kentucky. It makes it so the farmer will not lose money because you don't have your insurances. You don't have all of your different herbicides and pesticides that have been tried and true to use on hemp. And so this program to grow hemp as a specialty crop guarantees to the farmer they won't lose money. And that's a pretty strong thing in farming because everybody knows pretty often in farming, you lose money. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what crop insurance did, to, you know, it, it sort of to streamline the whole income piece of it. And this, so you feel it is tantamount, you know, it's about the same as, you know, your other ventures that you get into, because if it's not sustainable, these programs eventually go away. They can't always be propped up by the government. You know, is it, is it going to stay? Correct. Yep. So that is our objective here. Right now with the price of corn down this year, corn was at eight bucks. Now it's uh, five bucks or so, even under five bucks. I can say that we're neck and neck with corn. There's not an issue saying that. Beans are still up there and your input cost for beans are lower than corn. And your actual value that you get out of beans now are higher. So soybeans are the winner right now. I would not be telling the truth if I said it was more profitable than beans. We're right neck and neck with corn, and it all depends what we can pay for it and how much you can get per acre. But having it right there is the objective. I can say that also there are some different um, crops that we're testing, trying to get two hemp crops off of one field in a year without having to do additional inputs like seeds and fertilizers. We also did have some successful trials where you can plant hemp early. On nine acres, I believe we did this year, where you planted hemp, um, if you can plant it in April, you can harvest it in July and get your beans on the backside of that. And so you can get two crops off of one piece of land without having to refertilize. And then, yes, it is more profitable than some of these other ventures because you're getting to use that same land rent twice or pay it one time for two crops, as well as your same inputs, fertilizers, things like that. So let's let's roll this back to uh, Kentucky and um, and why you're staying, why you think you will or won't, uh, and then what the, I guess what is the main reason you think you're gonna you're gonna stick it out in Kentucky? Why does it make sense here versus Illinois, Oregon, you know, some other places? I know Kentucky's traditionally been great for hemp, but you know what is why. Base principle is the way you have to look at all of these kind of game-changing or completely different products or things that you do. The base principle of growing hemp in a state where it was historically the best place to grow hemp in the United States means that the hemp is going to grow better here. Before there was regulation, it was called Kentucky hemp because it grew the best here in the United States. You could argue Missouri, Kansas did fairly well. But this region right here is where it was before they regulated it out of out of commission. So the product being here or being grown here will be here to stay. I can say that the manufacturing ability in the Commonwealth here is greater than three quarters of the other states in the United States. So you got your crop being here. You've got your right to work rules where people come in and they get paid for what they do. You don't have unions trying to force stuff down your throat. You don't have a lot of the regulation that you would have. I couldn't dream manufacturing 
in New York or California, my main markets, but would not be a very friendly place to make stuff. And so being able to make it here more efficiently and being centrally located means you can transport it to a lot more areas in one or two days. So those things are essential to what we're doing. And I can say that when the federal government came after me and my business for what we were doing here and took us to court, the state of Kentucky was my key witness and stood up and literally said, if you're going to sue Greg for using a controlled substance inside of this bio burner, the renewable energy grant that we got, then you're going to have to lock up every farmer in the state of Kentucky who's got a canvas sack or a hemp rope. And that goes a long way with loyalty of saying, if the state stands up to the federal government for you, then you've got a safe home to be able to make your products in. So talk about the, you mentioned regulation a couple times there, and you talked about, you know, New York versus Kentucky from just a, let's call it red tape point of view. I, I know that hemp has been, cause we've had a few people on, um, that from a federal perspective has got a lot of you know gray areas, let's call them. Uh, what do you feel like is still in the way of making hemp a more readily used, let's say, uh, you know, product? Two things. Right now, they regulate flour or things that are going to be ingested, potentially intoxicating parts of the plant the exact same as the grain and fiber. We're making flooring out of it, and I have to go get a background check and pay $500 a year to be able to do this. So do all of our farmers. That makes it not quite as profitable to grow hemp when you got to pay $50 to get it tested, $500 for a license to grow it. I understand the regulation part, but if you can separate the grain and fiber, the true industrial hemp, from the floral hemp that is used for whether you want to call it a vitamin supplement or if you want to call it an intoxicating substance, that's up to you. Just keep me separate from that. That'll make an enormous difference for it taking off because farmers don't like to get told what to do on their own land. And when the government's got to do a background check, you got to pay them, and then they got to come out and test your crop before you can cut it down. If the weather's not right, and you got to wait three days to get it tested, you could miss your window for harvest. That's a big deal. The second part of it is going to be humans are allowed to eat hemp seeds, hemp protein. Animals are not. If anybody's into agriculture and knows that the reproductive part of a plant is always worth more, the seeds, whether it's corn, beans, or hemp, than the stalk or the fodder that comes out of it, your baseline use for that seed is animal feed. And that has not been approved yet. So they have tests at Murray State as well as under other universities that say that there are certain benefits, proteins, omegas that transfer from the seed to chicken eggs. And chickens and poultry and turkeys love eating hemp seed, but you're not allowed to actually feed your chickens that. You're hindering the most valuable part of the crop. What is the reason that, I mean, I know that there's lots of foolish you know, rules and regulations out there. Why would you, Why? what's the argument against the you know, animal eating hemp seeds? It's too new 
So the amount of research that the government requires has not been conducted yet. So there are folks like the Hemp Feed Coalition that are pushing for that. You do have two states that I'm aware of, Pennsylvania and Montana, that have made it legal on a state level. And so those places are starting to see more of your, what's called a dual crop, the grain and fiber, where I can buy the fiber off the bottom of the plant. They can take the grain off of the top of the plant and the farmer gets paid twice for one crop. So it's just because the research hasn't been done from a safety perspective. Correct. So that's being done, I presume? It is. There's a lot of different efforts. I wish they were more coordinated because you have a lot of these USDA grants that are going to universities, typically land grant universities, which are the correct way to go about it because they were the ones set up to do that agriculture research. But if there was a coordinated effort with a federal application saying, hey, let me feed my chickens hemp seed, just like I do on my farm now for five years, I've been feeding mine. And you can see there's actually a boost in some of the attributes of those eggs. Doesn't really convey to the meat, doesn't really have any harmful effects, but if something's going into a human's body, you got to have a whole lot of research done on it. And the CBD folks are fighting that same battle about what the flower does. And then the grain gets thrown in that same category of saying, well, this is essentially going from a seed to a chicken to a person. Let's study what it does to the chicken and then what it does to the person. Awesome. Great uh, examples. Uh, it sounds like, you know, awesome product. We keep hearing more and more about, you know, the, anybody listening who doesn't understand, you know, the value of hemp. It, it is a product. And maybe let's just talk about that. We need to wrap up the show here in just a minute. But um, some, not just for your products, but it's also foods. And But why hemp? Why is it so sustainable? Why does it work whenever we've got corn, we've got beans, we've got you know, numerous things, you know, wood, you know, there's lots of things that work. Why hemp? Why is it making a comeback? Why is it forefront? You know, just explain, you know, how come it's such a value play? So base principles are always the easiest way to look at anything like this. Hemp grows faster. A plant is going to pull CO2 from the air and then put nutrients back into the soil based on how fast it grows because they all do it at the same rate hemp actually doesn't have a higher carbon sequestration or storage than an oak tree it just grows faster so the how faster much, how much faster obviously an than an oak, oak tree, tree substantial faster but you know than yep. your average crop that it competes with so hemp grows in four months an oak tree is harvested in 60 years and so the amount of carbon being pulled is not even close. When you get into your softwoods like pine and poplar, it becomes closer because you have to measure what is the actual tonnage of cellulose that comes per acre. And it turns into four times more carbon is pulled from the air by growing a hemp plant than pine or poplar. And 20 times greater the amount of carbon is pulled from the air as compared to white oak and that's right here in the state of kentucky now it's all just based on how fast it grows and hemp is really really good at putting nutrients back in the soil so when you compare it to corn or beans 
corn pulls a lot out of the soil. You have to add a lot of nitrogen. You have to add a lot back into the soil. That's why it costs more to actually plant corn. But corn has a higher output as far as amount of grain per acre. Beans is less. Hemp is more along the lines of what you got to do with winter wheat, but it's actually putting more back into the soil. And so your rotation of growing corn the next year will be better if you plant it after corn. And so as a rotational crop, it's a net benefit. You got to get the dollar value of it up there so people can actually kind of put it into their rotation. And then as far as making hemp wood, because we make hemp wood flooring, we make furniture, countertops, tabletops, desks, all of those things. We also make accent walls. We make lumber that are used for trim. So like base trim, window trim, door trim, things like that. Those are actually going into projects right here in the Commonwealth. So University of Kentucky has two installs that have already been done. Their sustainability office did it a year and a half ago. The agriculture school actually sent down hemp grown on UK campus. We turned it into flooring and now they're putting it into the ag school. We got another project with them going in Princeton where that uh, tornado tore down um, their whole campus where they had their ag extension office. And we're rebuilding that with hemp wood from hemp grown on the Princeton location. So having the story of where it's grown here, it's used here, it's made here, completes that full cycle. And even our waste is turning into our fertilizer going back into Kentucky soil. And it's getting into public schools like Bowling Green, Warren County Public Schools. They have two schools on the docket with using hempwood, and they've already had their installs for a year and a half or two years, showing that it works in one or two classrooms. Now they're doing Greenwood High School with hempwood as the floors in all the classrooms. And they're seeing that having a healthy material inside of your classroom leads to higher cognitive ability for the students. And so they're breathing in cleaner air instead of the asbestos tiles or whatever vinyl flooring that goes in, you're breathing in healthier air, which makes you think clear. And so it's also inspiring the kids because all the kids say, hey, yeah, I'm in that classroom that's got that hemp flooring in it. And it gets them a little bit more excited to be in the classroom. And so that's really paying off. Even Murray State's doing it in their new ag building remodel where they're growing the hemp and then we're turning it into hempwood flooring and they're putting it in their offices to show off to the students saying this is ag tech right here developed by our students like tommy corn and matt our three managers in the office or in the uh, shop here they all started as interns from murray state ag school and now they're the plant manager for plant one plant two as well as the head of engineering for all of our equipment came from the ag tech degree over there nice uh, that was uh that was a, a lot of story around like why hemp. So I, I that was start to finish. So thank you, Greg, for being on. That was a, a great overview of what's happening. I do think hemp is pretty fascinating, particularly as a Kentucky-based business. You know, made in the USA, grown, made, and sold right out here from you know Murray, Kentucky. So it's an awesome thing for the state. We love what you're doing. Glad to hear about it. Uh, if you're you know if somebody wants to get in touch with you or if they want to find out a little more information, what should they do? Well, hempwood.com, we're the only ones in the world doing it. And so all roads lead to Murray, Kentucky. You can find us there. You can get our phone number or email right off of it. Give us a shout. We can get you some flooring sent out in a week or two. 
Awesome, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Built in the Bluegrass uh, with Greg Wilson, founder of, of Hempwood. So thanks for being on today, Greg. Hey, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Built in the Bluegrass. We hope you're leaving this episode with a better understanding of the cool stuff made in Kentucky. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show. This way you'll get notified as new episodes become available. Until next time.